We are in the 10th chapter of Daniel, and as we've discussed, these last several chapters have to do with visions and revelations that Daniel received via angelic messenger regarding the end times, the last days. So guess what? Daniel's visions were for us, because we're in the last days. And so we pick it up in verse 12. He's having this conversation with the angel. And then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you, be strong, yes, be strong. For when he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Boy, if you just a surface reading, this is like, whoa, whoo, what is this? Pretty far out. We're going to get into that and find out it's pretty exciting and, again, very relevant to the time that we're living in now. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you to bless this time of study here in Daniel chapter 10. Thank you for the great man of God, Daniel, who imparted so much wisdom and knowledge to us through his writings. We thank you for his incredible life. Live totally unto you, Father, the example that he set for us. We ask you to bless this time of study now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off last week in verse 12, where he says, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. And we know there was a 21-day gap between the time that Daniel started fasting and praying until the angel comes, and we'll... We see here why in this second half of chapter 10. He says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, folks, remember, this message is coming from an angelic being who looks like a man, but he's an angel. And so when he speaks here of the prince of the kingdom of Persia, what he is referring to is not a human being but a high-ranking fallen angel or demon who was given responsibility for influencing and directing the human rulers of Persia. Evil angels do seek to influence the affairs of nations. We'll get into that more as we go along. And this prince of the kingdom of Persia, he says, withstood me or resisted me 21 days. So Daniel's angel, the messenger that God sent to bring this message to Daniel was detained for 21 days, which 
by the way, equals the time of Daniel's mourning and fasting from verses 2 and 3 of this chapter. And then he says, Behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. You've all heard of Michael before. He is referred to in the scriptures as an archangel. His name means, Who is like God? He's mentioned here. He's mentioned in chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Here in chapter 10, verse 21 again. Jude 9, there's only one chapter in Jude, so it would be Jude 1, 9. Revelation 12, 7, and he is presented in the scriptures as the special guardian of the affairs of Israel. Chapter 12, verse 1, and the designated archangel in Jude, verse 9. But notice it says, one of the chief princes. So one of the things we see here from this discussion between Daniel and the angel as he brings up specifically Michael it shows us there's a hierarchy among the angels on both sides of the fence it also tells us there are probably more of his rank although he is the only one mentioned in the Bible with this designation one of the princes one of the chief princes one of the archangels if you will came to help me so the other angel we know by name from the scriptures is Gabriel, and he is not referred to in the Bible as an archangel, but it's a commonly held belief that he also is of that rank. There's an apocryphal book, which means there are books, as you probably know, that were not accepted in the canon of scripture when they gathered together to decide which scriptures were inspired and which were not. But there's a lot of valuable information in those. If you have a Catholic Bible, if you have a past connected to the Catholic Church, they do include the Apocrypha in the middle of their Bible. But the book of Tobias mentions an archangel named Raphael. And the book of Enoch, which many have looked to as a tremendous source of information, but again, not considered part of the biblical canon, there's a mention of an archangel named Uriel. Now, in Ephesians 1.21, we read, Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. We see four things in this verse. Jesus is above all principalities, power, might, and dominion. And in rabbinical thought, these words were considered to describe different orders or rankings of angels. And if you look at Ephesians 6, 12, again, the writings of Paul, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight against is not flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so we see that same similar outline principalities powers rulers of the darkness of this age spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realm so again there's something going on in the in the spiritual realm that we do not see with our physical eyes and there are battles being waged there all the time this angel speaking to daniel was involved in a battle of that nature with the prince of persia not the human prince of persia but a demonic entity. 
We're told here that Michael came to help me, he says, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So apparently the prince of Persia was a little bit too much for this unnamed angel to handle, so God sent Michael to help him. So this battle, folks, again, one that is much more powerful and significant than that which we see with our physical eyes, the battle between good and evil angels over the control of nations continues. It will on through the tribulation and even to the end of the millennium. Looking at Revelation for a moment, as we discussed a number of times, this book of Daniel is a great companion piece to the book of Revelation. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 7, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, which is Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Good news there. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. This, as we discuss in our study of Revelation, takes place halfway through the tribulation. This is when, if you recall, even though Satan was kicked out of heaven, he still has access on a limited basis to God. We see in the book of Job how when the angels came before God, Satan came with them and was accusing Job. Satan is known as the accuser of the brethren. We read about these battles in the heavenly realms, but halfway through the tribulation, and this is one of the explanations for why things are going to get so bad here on earth in the second half of the tribulation, which the Bible calls the Great Tribulation, because nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So during the second half of the tribulation, Satan and his fallen angels, their activities will be confined solely and specifically to this planet. So you can see why things get so bad. Going over to Revelation 20, after the tribulation, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So if you were and had any questions about who the dragon is, who the serpent is, tells us specifically, he is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So we see that battle going on beyond the tribulation. He's bound, cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now here, if we move up to verse 7 of Revelation 20, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So there's going to be a massive group of people on planet earth at the end of the millennium, at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ, who will be ready, willing, and able to rise up with the devil to come against God. Can you believe that? It's just one more confirmation that without God, we are hopeless, helpless, and desperate. We are fallen. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem. 
And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Oops. <laughs> Took care of that, didn't he? The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's the end of the millennium. Then we move into eternity, no more time. Even though during the millennium, we will be immortal, and so time will be irrelevant to us, but it will be relevant to the mortal people populating the earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ. But after this final judgment, this final disposal of the devil, time will be no more, we'll enter into eternity, and that'll be the end of this ongoing conflict, which we're still right in the middle of right now. Verse 14, now... The angel says, I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So once again, folks, as we've discussed over and over again, we see that God's prophetic timetable is centered around his dealings with the people of Israel. There are two key phrases in this verse. Your people, who are Daniel's people? The Jews, the Hebrews. Your people and, the other key phrase, the latter days. And again, I've mentioned before there is one line of thinking or one theological perspective regarding prophecy called preterism. Preterism teaches that all prophecy has already been fulfilled. That's a bit of a problem because there are many places where it specifically speaks of the latter days, the last days. We talked about this with Antiochus Epiphanes and the abomination of desolation when he sacrificed the pig on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem in 167 B.C. That was before Jesus and Paul wrote about the abomination of desolation. So for Paul and Jesus, it was still a future event a couple hundred years after that event had taken place with Antiochus. So the latter days, the vision refers to many days yet to come. That means days in the distant future culminating with the events surrounding the second coming of Christ. Verse 15, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. So again, we will find out exactly what it was that Daniel received in chapter 11, but Whatever it was, he's overwhelmed by what he sees in the vision concerning the fate of the Jews leading up to the millennial kingdom. And as we know, they have suffered greatly over the past 2,000 years. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I've retained no strength. Now again, I had mentioned earlier, I think it was last week, that the description of the angelic being was very similar to what we see of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. However, here it doesn't say the Son of Man or a Son of Man. It says the sons of men. So he's saying that this angelic being has the appearance of a man. And we can tell that Jesus probably is not the one appearing to Daniel here because he needed help from the, the archangel Michael in order to defeat this demonic prince of Persia. Jesus wouldn't have needed any help, right? So, but 
we find, yes, that uh, some of these angelic beings, when seen in all of their glory, very much look like the glorified Christ in Revelation 1 and very much how you and I will look. We, according to God, are the children of the light and when we are fully revealed, as it talks about in the book of Romans, the manifestation of the sons of God, we will be like him, which means we will be beings of light. And that's one of those big deceptions from the New Age, the whole alien group, you know, the alien encounters and all that, is that if you Google the term beings of light, there are literally millions of hits on that. And that's another one of the end times deceptions of the enemy that those who become part of the New Age movement, the New World Order, artificial intelligence and so forth. Uh, in fact, that's the message of the Illuminati and the Masonic groups that the true illuminator, the one who enlightens, is Lucifer. Not God, not Jesus, but Lucifer. And so they're seeking this New Age, this new world of enlightenment where... Lucifer will be on the throne and that's the goal of the tribulation and the installation of the Antichrist whom will, will be personally inhabited by Satan to deceive the whole world to worship him as God. Do you see how it's all just falling into place? Everywhere you look. Okay. Daniel says, The vision of my sorrows has overwhelmed me. The vision, my sorrows, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. Understandably, if you look over at the last 2,000 years of the sorrows of persecution, which Daniel saw coming upon his people, the Romans, when they took control of Israel at the time of Christ, they were under Roman dominion in 70 AD. Titus, the Roman general, brought his troops into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, murdered thousands of people. There was a small group that fled to Masada, as you may recall. The Romans, the Greeks, Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the sub-leaders of the uh, divided Greek empire. The Russians, tremendous amount of persecution took place the Ashkenazi Jews, the Eastern European Jews that lived in Russia and the surrounding countries, heavily persecuted, manifesting ultimately uh, in the uh, Holocaust, World War II, Adolf Hitler. Vast numbers of those Jews that were imprisoned and murdered were from Poland and other Eastern European countries. Germany didn't just arrest the Jews in their own country. They went all over Europe seeking them out arresting them, imprisoning them, murdering them. We know how the Muslims feel about the Jews, don't we? And then ultimately the Antichrist. The final, sadly, and even though the, the, the battle cry or the outcry after World War II, but not just by the Jews, but by everyone, was never again. They never wanted to see that kind of a horrible Holocaust take place again. They even have a museum in Jerusalem, the Holocaust Museum. I went and studied there. They offered an entire course for pastors and church leaders and politicians and different ones so that people would be fully educated and understanding 
regarding the magnitude of the Holocaust. The Holocaust Museum, there's an entire institute there so that people would never doubt, question, or forget. And yet we still have what we call Holocaust deniers. Have you heard of those? And they are largely in the, well, in the anti-Semitic community, in the Muslim community, claiming that none of it ever happened when the evidence is overwhelming that it absolutely happened. But sadly, again, during that second half of the tribulation, when the, the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple as God and demands to be worshipped as God, he will unleash that one final holocaust upon the Jews. They will flee, according to Revelation chapter 12, to the rock city of Petra or Petra. But we need to continue to pray for God's chosen people, for the nation of Israel, for Jerusalem, for the Jewish people, because they still have some dark days ahead. Daniel saw all of it, and it was so overwhelming to him. He couldn't talk. He couldn't breathe. He was just, it was like a punch to the gut. Verse 17, For how can this servant of my Lord talk with my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Folks, the role of prophet and intercessor, and Daniel was both of those things. He was a prophet. He was an intercessor. That's how all this started, remember, with Daniel praying and interceding for his people because he knew that the end of the 70 years in bondage was about to come to an end. And he was praying for his people that they could be forgiven. He was repenting on behalf of his people, knowing that the time for them to return to Israel was about to come. He was a prophet. He was an intercessor. And that can put a tremendous amount of pressure stress and strain on a person. Even Jesus, if you recall in the garden, on the night of his betrayal, before he was betrayed, he took Peter, James, and John, he went to the garden of Gethsemane. He said, you guys wait over here, I'm going to go pray. Comes back to check on them a couple times and every time they're asleep, right? Couldn't you watch with me or pray with me one hour? But Jesus was under such duress, knowing what he was facing. And I don't believe it was the physical aspect. Certainly he knew what he was going to have to go through physically, but the part that he was really struggling with was the knowledge that the sins of the entire human race would be placed upon him on that cross. And he'd never been separated from his father throughout all eternity. And so remember what the scriptures tell us, that he sweated, as it were, drops of blood. Some theologians believe that literally was blood. Medically, they've said that, you know, under intense stress and strain, these tiny blood vessels or capillaries in the forehead can, can burst. And he really could have been sweating drops of blood. But nonetheless, that was a very intense time for Jesus. And so even for Jesus, when you're talking about spiritual warfare... It can be very stressful. Daniel is totally wiped out over this. Verse 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Folks, this is a very encouraging thing. Again, there's, there are multiple scriptures prohibiting the worship of angels, and we're encouraged in our prayers to pray to the Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. 
I was speaking with someone just the other day who had a Catholic background, and they were telling me how they used to pray to everybody and their brother. <laughs> I said, did you pray to Mary? Oh, yeah, every day, all the time. You know, and I'm not trying to knock the Catholic faith or the Catholic people, but to pray to anyone but God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, is not biblical. And Jesus is God, so it's okay to pray to Jesus. But technically, we're told to pray to the Father in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. We're never told to pray to Mary. We're never told to pray to the saints. We're never told to pray to the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament apostles. Hey, Peter, could you put a word in with the big guy? <laughs> Not Joe Biden, the real big guy. Okay. The scriptures teach us, folks, that angels have the ability and, in fact, responsibility to strengthen, comfort, and protect God's people. And that includes you and I. Not just the Jews who are his chosen people, but particularly those who are born again by the Spirit of God who place their faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. But in Daniel 6, 22, Daniel says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Remember when Daniel got thrown in the lion's den? That would have been guaranteed death. However, notice the mediator here. God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. So we're specifically told here that the means by which God rescued Daniel was by sending an angel to close the lion's mouths. Do you believe that's a true story? Okay. Psalm 91.11 For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's a prayer I pray for my beloved family members every day. Father, please give your, your angels charge over my children, my grandchildren, and so forth to bear them up lest they dash their foot against the stone. I pray that for them every day. And by the way, when Jesus had his encounter with the devil in Matthew 4, the devil actually quoted this verse to tempt Jesus to jump off of the Edge of the temple, remember? It's okay, Jesus, you can do this. Just prove you're the Son of God because He'll give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. So you do realize you need discernment from the Holy Spirit, right? Because the devil can quote Scripture too. One night not too long ago, as I was praying, I was recounting all the times in my life when God had protected me. And, you know, several years back, it might have even been as much as 10 years ago. I can't remember the timeline now, but my wife and I were on my motorcycle on Tramway Boulevard, and the car in front of me, someone turned left in front of them, so they slammed on their brakes. I slammed on my brakes, laid the bike down. The bike slid 150 feet across the intersection at Spain and Tramway. My wife was wearing a helmet. The helmet was all torn up. I wasn't wearing a helmet. 
and my head hit the pavement, but it was so soft and gentle, it was supernatural. And I couldn't hardly find the spot. And I could, it was like I felt a hand reach underneath my head and cushion the blow. Now, I'm not saying go out and test the Lord, tempt the Lord. But by the same token, I have personally experienced on many occasions the supernatural hand of God. But from what we read in the scriptures, it was probably through one or more of his angels. Just as Daniel, the angel closed the lion's mouths. We read time and time again. Right here we just read it, Psalms 91. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot or your head against a stone. So when we talk about guardian angels, they are real. It's a real thing. We are not to pray to them. We could pray for God to send them to help us. And according to the scriptures, he will. Our son Adam was in the Marine Corps for four years. He was a machine gunner. Did two tours of Iraq, one tour of Afghanistan, and witnessed some atrocities. We prayed for him, obviously, every day, and God brought him back without a scratch. I can just picture those angels rushing into battle with our military men and women, can't you? They're with them. Hebrews 1.14, we read this recently, I think, but I want to read it again today. Are not all angels, and this would be God's angels, of course, not the fallen angels, are not all angels ministering spirits, but they can also appear as men. We've seen this, the description Daniel gives us over and over again. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And as I've talked about this before, God already knew in advance before you were ever born if you were going to receive Christ. If you were going to embrace Him as your Lord and Savior. If you were going to become a true believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God knew that before you were ever born, before you were ever even conceived. And so knowing that, in order to protect us against an early demise, the devil taking us out before we have the opportunity to receive Christ... He sends forth his angels to watch over us and protect us. Is that encouraging? Is that comforting? Should be. Should be. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's an, an incredible book. It's one of the classics of Christian literature, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And uh, it details amazing, incredible stories of Christians being persecuted, suffering, being tortured for their faith, which may not sound like a real appealing subject. But the stories of the comfort being brought to these people in times of great torment by angelic beings. I would encourage you to read that book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's really good. All right, verse 19. And he said, this one who looked like a man this angelic being who touched Daniel and gave him strength. And again, folks, the majority of the time, we will probably not even be aware of their presence, okay? 
Again, I was aware of their presence when my head hit that pavement, believe me. And we won't hear an audible voice. But when we pray and ask God for his strength, his comfort, his peace, according to the scriptures, that is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, yes, but also through those ministering spirits, those guardian angels. He said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you, be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So God sends his angels not only to protect us, but to impart strength to us. So we can see, folks, it's important. You know, we talk about prayer being a two-way conversation where we talk to God, but then we wait and listen for him to talk to us. So if we're running around in a chaotic state, uh, sidetracked, distracted by the things of this world and so forth, just like the angel was delayed when God sent him to bring the message to Daniel, there is spiritual warfare going on around us all the time. We need to dial in, we need to tune in, because otherwise the world, the flesh, and the devil will drown out the voice of God and the, and the ministry of his ministering spirits, the angels. Acts 27, 23, there, there stood by me in this night an angel of the God to whom I belong, this is Paul writing, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. So Paul is on his way to be brought before Caesar. They're in great peril, great danger, and the angel is comforting him. Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. You're going to get there, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Not one soul will be lost. And then Luke twenty two forty three, 43, again talking about Jesus in the garden. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And as I said, in most cases, you and I probably won't see them. It's a very subtle thing, but it's happening around us all the time. And then Daniel says, let my Lord speak. I, I caught my breath. I'm you know, you've strengthened me. I, I'm ready to listen to what you have to say. So another thing they do, angels, they also, as we have seen repeatedly, they bring us messages from God. Obviously not always directly, but often in more subtle ways, by speaking to us through Scripture, through other people, drawing our attention to a word, a phrase, a billboard. Their ways are limitless. And again, because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, I think they work in tandem with each other. But let's do verse 20 here. Then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. He tells Daniel in the next verse why he came. I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Sounds pretty exciting. But now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. So the battle between the forces of God and the forces of Satan is ongoing. Again, it will continue on as we've talked about. But ultimately, we know who wins, right? I want to be on the winning side, don't you? 
When I have gone forth, the prince of Greece will come. That's perhaps the demonic entity that will help bring Alexander the Great to power. As we've talked about the four great empires of the world. Roman Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, Greek Empire, Roman Empire. He speaks here of the prince of Greece. So a rising entity that will appear on the scene under the leadership of Alexander the Great. You know, folks, this could be the clearest passage in Scripture regarding the role that angelic forces, both good and bad, play in the affairs of human government. There is absolutely no doubt that Satan seeks to and often succeeds in influencing and controlling the nations of the world. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler, listen to this, the ruler of this world. John 12, 31, John 14, 30, John 16, 11. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 refers to Satan as the God of this world. And that's Satan's desire to be the God of this world. And his ultimate expression of that will be when he personally inhabits the Antichrist. Very interesting in Matthew 4, 8, where Jesus is having his encounter with Satan at the end of his 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Listen to this. And he, Satan, said to him, Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. There would have been no temptation there unless Satan had the ability to deliver the goods. Right? What does that tell you, folks? Now, the devil did that because he knew Jesus ultimately would own all the kingdoms of this world. He is coming again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is going to rule over this planet for a thousand years. The devil knew that. But the devil, like he does with each and every one of us, he offers Jesus a shortcut. Right? Watch out for the devil's shortcuts. That could be a good TV or movie title. The devil's shortcuts. He will offer them to you on an ongoing basis. What's the shortcut to marriage? Fornication. What's the shortcut to self-gratification? Fornication, adultery, you name it. Drugs, alcohol. He's always offering you the shortcuts. The only problem is those shortcuts are always destructive. Okay? But notice what the devil offered Jesus. He's the God of this world. He's the ruler of this world. Uh, ultimately, God is in control and God is in charge. But he gives the, the devil a certain amount of latitude with which to operate in this world. And how effective he is depends on us and the choices we make. But he definitely is all about sticking his fingers in as many pies as possible, controlling as many rulers of this world as possible, as many governments, as many nations. I told you how when I grew up in Phoenix in the old days and we only had like two, three TV channels, black and white, KPHO, local channel. They would always sign off at night with, 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Do you believe that? A public TV channel? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. What would be the opposite of that? Cursed is the nation who does not recognize the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that nation would become fully subject to the control, the manipulation of Satan and these principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. And you can see it all over the world today, folks. And sadly, you can see it right here in America. The battle rages on. Verse 21, our last verse for the day. I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. By the way, no one upholds me against these, these princes of Persia and Greece and so forth, except Michael, your prince. I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. That's interesting. We didn't have the whole Bible yet when Daniel wrote this, when Daniel received this message from the angel. But God is eternal. His word is eternal. His truth is eternal. Folks, all things were written before we even existed. You realize that? Grass withers the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Even though we can trace the writing of Old Testament and New Testament scripture to specific times in human history, it was really already written before we ever existed. And the angel says, I'll tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Those things that have been foreordained, they've already been determined, they've already been written, and I'm going to show them to you, Daniel. I'm going to explain them to you. And then he says, no one supports me against them except Michael. So apparently, in this particular case, the only angelic assistance that this angel receives in his fight against these demonic princes is Michael the archangel. But the good news is, that's enough. Right? Even on the human level. And by the way, the human level is tied to the spiritual level. In the Old Testament, one will put a thousand to flight, two will put ten thousand to flight. How do you think that happens? Because with you and God are a majority. And all those angelic beings that are at his disposal and at our disposal sent to serve us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Right? And then he says, no one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Again, Daniel represents the Jewish people, the Hebrews. Michael is the principal guardian and protector over God's chosen people. Highly regarded, highly esteemed archangel, actively engaged in the ongoing battle. And he is the champion and he and God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will win the battle. And as such, we will be victors as well. All right, next week, the contents and meaning of the vision. Let's stand. As we go to the Lord in prayer, for those who have a prayer request this morning, please raise your hand. Wow, lots, okay. Father God, we come to you now in the 